0: of any song that has more powerful words than that one (laughs) that uh, that's quite a song exodus chapter 20 as we look at the commandments of god to israel to mankind and then we look at jesus we see that jesus made obeying the commandments an issue of heart. But God, seeing our hearts, well, that can be a double-edged sword. When we're not understood or feel like we've been misjudged by others, we can take comfort in God seeing the heart. He knows us. However, When we are self-centered, hiding our motives with a me first attitude, our hearts betray us before God. By the time of Christ, the Jewish scribes, rabbis, elders had managed to write volumes of books concerning the law. You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, wanting eternal life. And Jesus said, well, obey the commandments. And he said, well, I've obeyed them since I was a, a youth. But he still knew he lacked something. He said, yet yeah, what do I lack? Paul the apostle wrote of himself in Philippians 3.6, Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. The law, the commandments of God, were guidelines. They were Israel's schoolmaster, uh, demonstrating to all of mankind our need of mercy and grace. If you know... Anything about the Jewish people, there's probably not a people that are more determined, more rich in heritage than the Jewish people. God gave his commandments to the Jewish people, and guess what? They can't live by the commandments. But you know the law is like a highway patrolman that's following you, hits the blue lights... (laughs) And you know that you've broken the law. You're just not sure of which ones. I had a patrolman pull me over. I know that shocks most of you. But I had a patrolman pull me over one time and he asked, Do you know how fast you were driving? I said, Yes, I do. As soon as I saw you behind me, I looked at my speedometer. (laughs) So it's no mystery. I know how fast I was going. My children, being their dad, would come to me and they had done something wrong and they would confess and, and once they got too old for me to spank them, I tried to encourage them not to repeat their sin or their misdeed and I would try to let them know that God loves them and they could go to him and ask for forgiveness. And I would try to give them the words of Jesus when the woman who was caught in adultery and everybody's condemning her. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's our Lord. That's our loving Lord. It is so critical for us to keep our hearts pure and tender before God. Because our hearts are what God looks upon. And any person who thinks the law or good behavior gives them a right standing before God, any person that thinks this, does not know the holiness of God. And he doesn't realize how righteous and pure God is. There's only been one man in the history of man that's been able to say, I knew no sin. And that was Jesus. He's the only one. But to sin, it's an old English archery term. And it simply means to miss the bullseye, to miss the mark. So we sin by missing the mark all the time. And we can commit sins by overt bad behavior, But we can also sin by doing nothing when we have the ability to do good. That's called the sin of omission. And there are two types of sin, commission and omission. But the law primarily deals with sins of commission. Therefore, the law is a guideline to our lives. But it also points us to Jesus who was our sacrifice. And by faith, Jesus gives us that right standing before God, which the law could never do. At best, the sacrificial system of the law only covered our sins, covered Israel's sins, momentarily. Didn't take them away, it covered them momentarily. And under the law, as soon as you would sin... You would need to sacrifice again because, you know, you've sinned again. And most of us, if we lived under the law, and I know you people, you would need a flock of sheep, because you would need to be sacrificing constantly. But I want to be a person that's quick to repent. I really do. I don't want to dwell in or upon my sins. So let's jump into Exodus chapter 20. Uh, We'll look at verses 15 through 17. And uh, let's read there. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servants, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You shall not steal. Now, that's basic. And the only justification for stealing is if you really need it or want it. No. (laughs) But we do seem to justify stealing little things. And we justify it by saying things like, well, they will never miss just one Or it's only, look out now, a ballpoint pen. But do you steal time? How about getting on the internet and doing a little surfing while at work? Mm, Getting personal now. Or how about long personal phone conversations when you're supposed to be doing your job? I have heard different group leaders say to people who always run late, who are habitually late, you are stealing time from the group. And I like that because I don't like to be late. I'm just saying, (laughs) we may be stealing without even realizing it. We're told do not steal. And then it says you're not to bear false witness, or you shall not lie. To lie is to lead someone to believe something not true. Your words can be true, but if you're clever enough, and I've known people like this, and I've done it myself, you can speak words of truth, and it still be a lie. Because we're so adaptive, and misleading. We live in a society that studies our behavior, and it's been said you can detect a person who is lying by the way they react to inquiring questions. If you look to the left and down, you're lying. If you look to the right and up, You're telling the truth, or it might be the other way around. I don't know which. (laughs) So don't watch my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But science has developed the polygraph machine that can detect when a person is lying, but it can only detect a person who is lying that's not accustomed to lying. If you're accustomed to lying, you can beat the polygraph test. I once knew a man who went to the Grand Cayman Islands on vacation, which is just south of Cuba. And he brought back some illegal Cuban cigars for friends as a little gift. You know, Cuban cigars, hard to get. And upon entering the U.S. Customs at the airport, this Christian man was asked, do you have any Cuban cigars? My reply was, I do not smoke. That tells you it was me. <laughs> and I was allowed to pass through customs and just go on my way. Did I lie? You, Betcham Red Rider. I deceived the man. I answered truthfully, but it was a lie because I don't smoke but I did have Cuban cigars. (laughs) Several years back, I was listening to Christian radio while I was driving, and that can be hazardous for me. This radio program would have different listeners call in and ask questions, and it sounded like a young lady called in and said, my boss wants me to lie and say that he's not in when he doesn't want to take a phone call the Christian DJ uh, gave her an answer. This radio host gave her this advice. Have your boss step outside the door, and then you can tell the caller he is not in. Almost drove off the road. (laughs) A Christian DJ telling a person how to lie. Telling a Christian how to lie. And that really bothered me. I have, I have had to say to a person before when they ask a compromising question, and you've all received them, those questions that if you answer truthfully, you're gonna hurt their feelings. And I have had to say in the past, I cannot answer your question. And if that person persists, then I tell them, you're putting me in an awkward position and I don't want to hurt your feelings. And usually they'll let it go then. But if they insist, then you need to tell them the truth. My pastor in California is, is uh, a man that I have a lot of respect for. And he's extremely straightforward and honest. And I had a good friend uh, ask him, because this friend of mine was moving away and, and he had desires to be a pastor. And he asked my pastor, he says, huh, have you seen any leadership qualities in me? Damien looked at him and said, no. <laughs> Just like that, I would have hedged all over the place on that one. <laughs> he simply said, no. <laughs> And I thought, wow. (laughs) But you know, Jesus told us, he says, don't take oaths. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Let me take it a step further. And this is a good word of advice, because I've had it happen to me. If you're silent when somebody is gossiping to you, Be careful, because they're going to take your silence as you agreeing with them. So I have learned to tell a person, hey, you're giving me information I don't need to hear. I don't need to hear what you're telling me. That, or I say, well, bless his heart. No. (laughs) I try not to say that one. Boy, doesn't that cover everything? <laughs> um, I once told a young man that was known for his lying, and he really was. He'd, he'd rather tell you a lie than tell you the truth. And I told him, I said, you don't have a good enough memory to be a good liar. Because you contradict yourself all the time. But, you know, as Christians, we should be known for the truth. We should be upright. We should be honest. And I dislike it in myself when I will say things like, well, I'm going to be honest with you. Well, what have I been doing? Lying? Or let me tell you the truth. Same, same. Or perhaps up here in the pulpit say something like, I'm going to tell you a true story like my other stories aren't true. (laughs) And I try to eliminate those from My vernacular. But anyway, we should always be a person of truth. We should be known for our truth. The next commandment is you shall not covet. And that is straightforward and clear enough. But God continues do not covet your neighbor's house, his wife, his servants, his ox, his tractor. You can go there nor anything he owns. And then we have the Apostle Paul declaring, I would not have known coveting was a sin if it hadn't been written in the law. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying to covet is an inward sin. It's unseen and it's unacceptable to God. I can't look at you and tell if you're coveting. You can't look at me and tell if I'm coveting because we've learned to mask our words and so forth. But I've heard people jokingly say things like, I wish I had a new convertible like my neighbor and he had two more. Well, you're just... (laughs) That's a coveting cover-up. Coveting is first cousins to greed. Coveting simply is an inordinate desire for more. It has been said, America and her economical system is based upon coveting and greed. And advertisers know this. They learned long ago to appeal to a person's desires. Advertisers count on you not being content with your current possessions. There's one particular TV advertisement that really drives me up a wall. And it's a local beauty spa and they advertise on TV and it shows two very beautiful young ladies saying i am now beautiful and i deserve it no you don't <laughs> and i sit there wow coveting before god is saying to god i am not content i am not happy with what you have provided for me in life. It's an affront to God. Paul says we're to learn to be content. Paul said, I'm content if I have much. I'm content if I have little. And that is such a good state of being. Learn to be content for the rich or poor because it pleases God when you're content in life. God has given us his Ten Commandments, and he's done it from a cloud on top of Mount Sinai, and his voice is like trumpets. It's scary to the multitude. So let's read verses 18 through 21. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Thunderings. Lightning flashes, trumpets sounding, the entire mountain is uh, full of smoke and trembling. And it's a little bit like we are here in the springtime and sometimes the fall when tornado warnings come. And have you seen the sky get a dark and just a little bit of a green hue to it, look out, (laughs) that is double ugly. And that can be very, very frightening. But it reminds us of Mount Sinai, how it must have been so frightening for the people to be there. The people are totally afraid of God. And then you have the sound of the trumpets, and God's voice is sounding like trumpets like a trumpet blasting. And this trumpet blaring and blasting, God's voice, is the first, what we call, trumpet of God. There are several trumpets of God in scripture. The Feast of Ingathering, also known as the Feast of Trumpet, is going on right now, it's this week. And it's in the Jewish calendar and I firmly believe the Lord will return and rapture his church and will meet him in the air during this Feast of Trumpets. It's an unfulfilled feast. I just can't tell you what year. <laughs> I can guess. Look out for 17. But anyway. <laughs> Trumpets were associated with the giving of the commandments, trumpets are associated with the rapture of the church. In First Thessalonians four sixteen, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice the Lord himself will descend with a shout, the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, meaning his voice has that trumpet sound. Later on, in the book of Leviticus, God will ordain the making of trumpets to Moses. Trumpets are to call Israel to worship. Trumpets to announce the rapture of the church. And and then in Revelation 4.1, we have John hears God's voice, and it sounds like a trumpet saying to him, Come up here, come into heaven, John. So trumpets have a very significant effect. Place in a Christian's life in the Word of God. It seems that when God wants to be heard without any misgivings whatsoever, He sounds like a trumpet. I prefer the still quiet voice. (laughs) That also is the voice of God. But we can misread or mishear The still quiet voice of God, but not the trumpet. The people that are gathered around Mount Sinai, they hear the trumpet blasting and they tremble with fear and stand away from the mountain because they're so afraid. The people cry out to Moses, you speak to us, Moses. And you speak to us for God, lest God speak through his trumpet voice and <clears throat> and we die from fear. You have to catch the scene there. They are tremendously afraid. God's voice is not helping matters for them. It just makes them tremble all the more. And then Moses trying to comfort the people. And Moses, we are told in Hebrews, he is also very afraid. But Moses declares, God has spoken to you to test you. God wants Israel to fear him where they will not sin. And this great fear that the people have works, but it only works short term. For within one month, the children of Israel will be dancing around the golden calf out of there in the wilderness, declaring this calf has brought them out of Egypt. Within a month. But Moses, his word to the people, and you can't miss this, it's the same word Jesus spoke to his disciples quite often, do not fear. Now that's easy to say, it's just hard to do. Turn that fear into something that's not fear. God's desire is for Israel to not sin. Jesus was constantly telling his disciples, do not fear. We're told time and again, do not fear, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There was... This Sunday school teacher, and notice I didn't begin this story with, let me tell you a true story. Just notice that. But this Sunday school teacher was having a difficult time with the pastor's son. This frustrated teacher told this young lad, God sees you when you're behaving badly. So you should always be good. Later that day, the pastor and his son are at home, and the boy comes to his dad, and he said, Dad, does God see all the things I do? And the father understands, in part at least. And he says, Yes, son, he does. God loves you so much he can't take his eyes off of you. And therein lies the lesson for us. God loves us, his people, so much, he can't take his eyes off of us. God cares whether or not we sin. Even though he has provided the cross for our forgiveness, (laughs) God's love towards us to forgive our sins, but he still prefers us not to sin after coming to know his son. We're to use love as a motivator not to sin because fear only works short term. Love never fails. Fear is short term. Love and serve the Lord. Stay away from sin because of your love for the Lord and know that He loves you. Amen? Amen. Stand, and we'll close in prayer. Father God, I want to thank you, first of all, that we're not under the law. I thank you for the new covenant. It's through your blood, Jesus. But, Lord, I don't want to ever be guilty of willful sin. I know that I, in the past I have willfully sinned. And that bothers me, Lord, and I thank you for forgiving me. But, Lord, I want to walk upright before you. And I don't want to be found in sin, not in my heart, not in my mind, not in my deeds. So keep me from sin, Lord. Create in me that pure and clean heart towards yourself. Let me be motivated, Lord, by your love towards me. I don't want to be offensive to you, Lord, by practicing sin. I know I sin. Lord, I want to be quick to repent of sin. But, Lord, I sure don't want to be practicing sin. So help me, Lord. Help these, your people, not to be found in sin also. And may that be a goal in their life, is to be free of sin before you. And thank you, Lord, that we have your blood to forgive us when we do sin. Thank you for loving us so much. And we pray and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.